Hey everybody, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about comics, specifically DC Comics, released on uh, the 9th of August, 2017. If you haven't read those comics yet, pause the podcast, go read them, because we're going to spoil them. But first, a little bit of news we're going to talk about. Um, It was confirmed this week that there will, in fact, be a... Duke Thomas-led Batman miniseries starting later this year. It is entitled Batman and the Signal. It will be uh, illustrated by Cully Hamner. There was not an artist uh, associated with it yet. Cully Hamner also designed the new uh, Signal costume, which is getting uh, some interesting reviews, both good and negative, uh, online. And uh, the miniseries will only be three issues long. Gentlemen, any thoughts on this? Uh, I love Cully Hamner. I don't love that costume. Oh, I like it. I just don't like the big bats logo. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's a signal. He's like the walking bat signal. He has to Does have it a light big. Up? Probably. If it lights Pre- up, I'll, I'll, I will like it. <laughs> it. It looks like reflective. Uh, yeah, it looks like a reflective surface or something. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I just like it. the other one a little better, maybe. But it's, yeah, if it lights up, it's fine. I thought that's that's your selling point. Yeah, <laughs> it needs to be practical. I don't know if you would call that practical. <laughs> I was going to say we because have we have different definitions of practical. Utilitarian. Okay. It has a flashlight. There we go. Um, I'm a little shocked. This is only a three issue miniseries. Me too. Three yeah. Three I wonder. You know, we always speculate on stuff like this but like i wonder if if that's successful if that doesn't get dc to do more of those you know like like maybe they say like well you know no one's gonna buy a a duke thomas ongoing or not enough people are but if we give if we tell them it's only gonna be three issues like who's gonna drop off after one issue if there's only three you know Maybe That's they think that the maybe they think that the drop off will be less, and that they didn't invest very much in it in the first place. So, I wonder if they will be like normal size, if they'll be oversized. Yeah, so, if, they'll, if they'll be like the super girl being super one. I don't, oh, I, that's I'd interesting. I'd be surprised if they were that large, but yeah, if they were more like you know, like the Kirby size. Sure. You have like the Kirby issues, you know, forty, forty, or um, yeah, yeah, forty, yeah. forty yeah. pages. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that you know, it reminds me of when Forever Evil was happening, or like Flashpoint, and those miniseries were just like three issues. Those tie-ins. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me. Of, this could be like a metal version of that. I uh I I think actually three issues is a pretty good length for your average miniseries. I think many times people try to shove it to five or six issues because of a collection, you know. And but but I think that overall, many times that's too long for a story arc in general, let alone uh, a miniseries where, you know, miniseries typically are characters that either don't that the company doesn't feel can can carry an ongoing or it's you know a very specific 
time in this character's life or whatever. So I think I think three issues is, is a perfectly good number. And like Vince said, I'm wondering if this will lead to more miniseries of this uh, this size. Yeah. 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 I'm interested to get into that uh, more next week for reasons that will be clear next week. Um, all right. Uh, another little bit of news here. Uh, we have another Harley Quinn book, guys. <laughs> uh, Joker loves Harley. To not, to not read every every month. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, I, I fully blame Vince for this because Vince, Vince was talking about how good this backup was for a little while. And then he eventually soured on it, but that's all DC needed to hear. If one of the DC three cast gets behind something, DC puts it into print. So, what can I say? We're influencers. We are. We um, are. We're truly uh, important people in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> I uh, I just and the same thing will probably happen. I'll read like the first issue or two, and I'll be like, oh, oh, I I like a book that looks like this, and the, and then like by issue three, I'll be like, oh, I'm I don't like Harley at all. What am I I'm sick of this? <laughs> Enough of her. Is it the same creative team? I I don't know. I would imagine. I would imagine it is too. Um, I had a really chilling thought today when I was sort of prepping for the show, which is that... At cool thi- party. <laughs> uh, at this point, both Harley Quinn and Scooby-Doo have considerably more monthly comics than uh, Wonder Woman does. <laughs> the, DC is publishing three Scooby-Doo titles uh-huh. and uh, Harley's little black book I believe is finally wrapping up but but it'll, oh my goodness. but it'll be publishing two possibly three Harley Quinn titles at the same time too and that's not wow. counting her also being a, a, a lead in Suicide Squad that's a sobering thought yeah is, um, is the Odyssey of the Amazon still going on is that a thing Oh God, I have no idea. Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's the most insulting of all because that's a that's a non Wonder Woman Wonder Woman book. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. And Wonder Woman, like, I, I then I was I was trying to think about this rationally, and I was like, well, Wonder Woman's in 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 Justice League, but she's and, and she's in Trinity. But I was like, oh, but Harley Quinn is still going to have as many monthly appearances because she's also in Suicide Squad. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not good. And, and Suicide Squad is in everything. That is true, as we saw this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think any of us are too particularly thrilled about this. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, and then this is, is more speculation than news, but it seems to be... Uh, relatively confirmed, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, it appears that along with Blue Beetle, Superwoman will be wrapping up its tenure at number 18. This comes from an advanced solicit of the, uh, I believe it's the third volume of uh, of the book to be collected, and uh, it mentions that this is the end of the saga of Lana Lang as uh, Superwoman, and, uh, and yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a bummer, but I think we'd all agree we're pretty shocked it's making it to eighteen. Like yeah. based on based on how DC used to do these type of series, to get eighteen issues feels like a real win. Yeah. Now and it's very weird to think about how many incarnations it kind of jumped through over those eighteen issues, or will have by that time. 
That's true. Yeah. Um, it's covered. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just said it's covered some ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll talk more about Superwoman in a little bit on the show, but uh, I, I guess my big question for you guys is: Do you think that Lana Lang, not as a Superman supporting character, but as Superwoman, do you think that there's any place for her in the DC publishing line with any regularity after her series that wraps up? I definitely think so. Yeah. Not not should there be, will there be? I no. I I think there will be. Like I think she'll still show up. Stuff. I think Lana Lang will, but I'd be surprised if she's still Superwoman. I don't know. I think she'll stick around, but that's that's my bet. Let's make a let's yeah let's make a DC three bet on that. All right, let's do it this way. So obviously, if the book ends with her not having powers anymore, we can't penalize Zach for that. But if no, she... I think you can. I'm gonna say that she ends the book with powers. We can. Do we okay. want to make that the bet? Zach's throwing it down. Okay, so so the bet is not just that she ends the book with powers, but Zach, okay. what are you setting as the line for appearances in the first year? So if that book ends with eighteen, you know. Um, 18 should come out, I believe, in January or February. When that happens, by the next January or February, how many times will we see her in costume, not just in the background someplace, but actually doing something? So, like, an actual, like, feature in an issue. Like, she can, she could totally be, like, I will, I will count what she did in the last, in Action Comics from two weeks ago. Like, her okay. being part of that super squad, whatever, that will count. But how many of those are we going to get in the first year? Oh man, I don't know. I think I don't know if I can pick like exact like number of like times or issues. I think she'll show up. I would I would think that she would probably show up with some decent regularity in action, and then show up in at least one or two other female centric books. So is six a good number to set it at? Oh jeez, I'd set the line at two. Well, if she gets if she gets three we'll, of those, we'll Zach four. wins. But we'll call it we'll call it four. He said, okay, "I will take the right. under, but I'll take above zero. And you're taking zero, right? Yes, uh, yes. I'm I'm gonna bet that she ends it without powers. Okay, so so you're taking uh, she ends it without powers. I'll take she ends it with powers, but we see her two or fewer times, and Zach's taking over two. Four. All right, are you writing this okay, down? Yeah. Uh, the internet's writing it down, Vince. I don't know about that. No, I'll write it down. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I, I like that. Um, we should we should gamble more often on this show. <laughs> I'm sure also, our wives will appreciate that. Our wives. <laughs> our wives. I'm also committing 18 issues to memory for if we ever play another one of those games. Like, how many... <laughs> issues did this rebirth book get to uh yeah something we'll something demon like nights yeah <laughs> something something demon nights 23 issues remember <laughs> Ad, remember adam glass was uh he wrote suicide squad when it first came out he did yes yeah it's crazy was That's i right true. about demon nights just now i have what no idea say? he said 23 oh i'm sure you were right I don't... Yeah. you've never you've never been wrong uh Wikipedia, tell me. 
yep, even 23. Nice, got the it. final issue. Yeah, you're, is, you're, is 23 the final issue? Because does that count the zero issue? Uh, we, uh, I was counting like number 23. Okay. Okay. Yeah, when we when we did the game, we didn't count the zero. We just counted. We just counted what the last issue was. Okay. I think. Okay. That's too confusing. Yeah. It's even more confusing for books that lasted a little bit longer, because then they had the Villains Month, like 22.1 or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Remember Justice League had, like, four of those? Yep. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was uh, that was one of the first, like, DC3 things we did, was we, yeah. we reviewed all those. Yep. And and it's all been downhill from there. <laughs> that, that was our best feature. Sure, <laughs> I can agree with that. I can't agree with that, guys. We've only gotten better. Uh, anyway, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second with our reviews of the week, starting with Mister Miracle Number One. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. Well, I goofed, guys. Uh, we have one more bit of news we did not get to, so let's knock that out first. Yeah, big old zonk over here. Um, they announced the next, the third class, I believe, of the DC New Talent Writers Workshop. Uh, Zach, why don't you run down who was uh, who made the cut this time? Yeah, we have Sonia Anwar of One Thousand and One, Ryan Cady of Big Moose, Joey Esposito of Pawn Shop and Captain Ultimate, Robert Jeffrey of Route Three and Radio Free America. Philip Kennedy Johnson of Last Sons of America and Warlords of Appalachia, and Magdalene Visagio of Kim and Kim and Quantum Teens Argo. Uh, I think it's a pretty interesting batch of uh, of creators there. I um, it's funny. Route Three is a book that had never been on my radar until this past week because we did a feature on Multiversity of the art about the artists of that book. Uh, for one of our new columns called The Big Break. And so uh, I was just made aware of that book this week, and then like 10 minutes after that went live, they announced these uh, <laughs> these names. So it was, it was a, one of those weird moments where, you know, if it had happened 24 hours earlier, I would have never thought about it. Uh, Vince, you're particularly a big Kim and Kim fan, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. I'm, I'm always thrilled to see uh, Mags get more work, and... Um... And I, man, she's doing like, isn't she doing like visionaries for IDW or something? And she's, she's got like all sorts of little, I think she's doing some small book for Marvel. So I'm just thrilled that she's getting a lot of mainstream work and pretty quickly too. Cause yeah, Kim and Kim was her first work, right? Or her first big work at least. First, first, uh, major published work. I don't know. I, I'm sure she's done other things, but like, you know, First thing you could order from Diamond, I would guess. <laughs> yeah, I could. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's what it's what put her on the map for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't read the second Kim and Kim mini yet. Uh, not not for lack of interest. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. Uh, it's quite, quite good. good. Yeah, the the first one was quite good. So, 
Uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, I wonder if... Well, okay, I, I'm kind of forgetting who was in the second Writer's Workshop class. Like, the first one had... Apparently Tony Patrick was in it. <laughs> yeah, Tony Patrick Tony was in Patrick's it. Tony Patrick's in it. Yes, uh, uh, er- er- Erica Harrell. I've got the list here. Oh, go for it. Cool. Erica Harrell, uh, Desiree Proctor, Dave Campo, Aaron Gillespie, Al Letson, Tony Patrick, and Owl going back. Uh, is Tony Patrick the first of those to get work at DC now? I believe so. Yeah. I, I know the first class had folks like um, Chris Sabella and Michael Morisi. And, uh, you know, they have done more at DC since then. But I'm sure it takes a while, too. And they don't want to just turn over, I'm sure, all their books to their new folks right away. You know, so it is a process. But I think it's a very cool thing that DC is... I I, I was actually debating this with a, with a friend of mine recently, whether we thought it was fair or not that DC publishes these names when the workshop starts. Because my, my friend's point was, it's shitty because if the writer never does anything at DC, then you essentially have publicized their failure. Yeah. And I never really thought of it the way. I always thought of it like, it's really cool they do this because I feel like for these folks for freelance gigs, this has got to be a boon for them. Like if they're looking for a gig someplace else and they can say, Hey, you know, the one of the big two thinks I'm talented enough to, to invest this time into me, you know, that's got to help them get other get other gigs and i'm sure that helps them with uh with just about every aspect of their of their professional career if not their craft you know but their career itself yeah you would think like networking wise but then also you know just a fan seeing this announcement you know a, a big dc fan might see these names and be interested to go check out some of these books that are listed there you know possibly yeah 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 but i you can know, also see what you're saying too i it's. It reminds me of like, uh, we're in the middle of football preseason right now, so that's that's why I'm thinking about this. But it reminds me of like a player coming for a tryout and then maybe making it to the practice squad or something. Right. It's it's like, uh, okay, like most of these guys know that they ne- they don't have a shot, and I'm not saying that about these writers because this is a much smaller smaller world than uh, you, you know the entire football you know it's not a one-to-one comparison right, right. But, but what i'm saying is like a lot of these guys know that their chances are slim and they're just glad to do what they do and get more eyes on them any way they can and i'm not saying that it's it's one-to-one in comics because in comics you have an opportunity like mags visaggio for example doesn't need this to get work you know right um but some of these folks probably this might represent their first work that they're going to collect a salary on yeah and some of them are some of them are writers that maybe want to dip into comics but they you know like you said maybe they need a little bit more work on their craft or, or think that they do you know and right and this can help with that i mean i understand what people are saying if like people are not chosen from these groups to actually work on like actual ongoing DC work. But like, yeah, I feel, I feel like unless there's a huge like falling out at the class itself, like they're going to appreciate that the time that they had there and they're going to take things from it, you know? Yeah. 
hopefully they're treated well, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I would assume I would assume they are. But And I, I'll also say this. I know because I, I have I have a few people who uh are I, I have one friend and then a few people who are friendly who have applied to do the DC Writers Workshop. And these people all have published work uh, at at other major publishers, and they were all turned down for it. And so I I think that DC is looking for something particular with this, which is which is better to me than them looking for names that will that that will move the needle. Now you you know what I'm saying? Like it would probably get bigger headlines if they took, you know, somebody who's done a lot of work at, at Dark Horse or at Image. Uh, and and put them on there because they can they can use that as a uh, as an indicator of them being hip or them or whatever it is you know but the fact that they are being more uh, careful about the people that they're choosing I, I think does say a lot about the program itself and good for them for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So congratulations, folks. We look forward to uh, hopefully liking your books in the future. All right. Um, that brings us to our reviews. And I think the only logical place to start this week is with Mr. Miracle, number one, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerrards. Um, we've been texting about this book kind of a little bit. We've, we've, we've all been kind of, you know, vaguely sharing our feelings, but wanted to sort of share, uh, save it for the show. Um, you know, th- this is a, a big book for DC for a number of reasons. It's a 12 issue maxi series. It's a book that is, you know, beginning the integration of the new gods back into the DC proper. It's a book by a high-profile creative team. Uh, I guess overall, why don't why don't we bring back this old chestnut, guys? Just to start, we'll talk about it more. But um, pulp pirate or pulp, Mister Miracle, based on the first issue. Zach, Zach's pulling it. Vince. Oh man, I. Uh... Uh, I gotta pull it. <laughs> oh, God bless you, sir. Uh, I'm going to pull this, too. Uh, I, I, I'm not pulling it with the ferocity that maybe I hoped I would be, but I would still pull it. Oh, I'm this pulling it with more ferocity than I hoped this is I better, would be. It's better than I, yeah, than well, I thought it would okay, be. Okay, it's better than I thought it would be based on Batman, uh-huh. Not better than I hoped it would be based on the Omega Men. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's fair. Yeah, I, 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 to, I to turn that a little bit, I, it's better than I hoped it would be from Batman. Not like you know, like I, I just wanted it to be better than Batman. Are you talking about the first arc of Nightwing? <laughs> yes, I wanted it to be that. That exactly. is that is a deep rebirth joke, folks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's, let's dig into this. So I think that we need to have a couple of caveats up top here. Uh, there is still a, a fair amount of Tom King, Tom King around here, uh, in terms of making things, you know, really, uh, both, you know, hyper serious and also, you know, he loves him some repetitious dialogue, and we get a bit of both of those things here. Uh, I also think it's it's worth noting that um, that this book takes itself very seriously. 
well, okay. Stand. Do you, I mean, do you mean just because Stand. the main character? Stand. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. The main character slitting his dark side is. Let me defend. No, I'm Brian. Just I'm, oh, I'm kidding. No, I'm Brian, kidding. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just fucking with you now. But no, I, I, I do think it takes itself very. I, I do think that this is, this is being presented as a quote serious superhero comic. Right. I agree because it's dealing with very serious subject matter. Mm-hmm. But there's also the there's also the the Godfrey the, the glorious Godfrey show in the middle and the the narration that bookends it that to to me that it's not much it's not much but to me that cuts into that seriousness that you're talking about see to me uh both of the look I liked almost every decision made here do not think that this is me uh like shitting on those things but I think that both of those things that you mentioned are like an attempt at showing how showing the breadth and the width of the book. I don't think they're meant to really be funny or lighthearted. They're supposed to show that the book can be funny and lighthearted. There, there's a difference there. Again, I liked this book. Yeah, and and here's the thing. I was not going to tip my hand to you guys uh, to how I felt about this until the show, but then I was forced to because CBR posted a column that said uh, something like <laughs> King, King, and 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 Jared's uh, perhaps changed the face of comic books or something with Mister Miracle Number One or something like that. Which it is wasn't such that, a jerk off position. It wasn't that extreme, but. But it was something along those lines. It was know? an extreme. Re- it, it, it said like it said redefined, redefined comics yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, which is complete and utter malarkey. Yeah, and um, and that was in the in the week. I read this book last week when we first got it, and I said to you guys, I'm interested in what the discourse on this is going to be because that is exactly what I predicted. You know, yeah. I read this book. I read this book. I enjoyed it very much. And then I said, you know, I liked this a lot, but there are going to be people on the internet that have influence and write for big websites that are going to spill their guts over how much this is, you know, over how good this is. They're going to say things like it's going to change the face of, you know, I saw that coming a mile away. And I guess if you use a nine panel grid, you can trick those people into thinking that you've changed, uh, You've redefined comics, you know? Okay, again, this is going to sound like I'm shitting on the book. I do not mean this that this way. To me, every scene in this book, like if the Eisners were broadcast the way the Oscars were broadcast, every scene in this book could be chosen as the clip before the Best Picture nomination was, was revealed. <laughs> like, every scene feels epic and, quote, important and whatever. That's not a knock on it. It just every like th- this is this is Eisner bait. If there was ever Eisner bait, I don't Can I don't I... know if that's intentional or not. But this is the type of stuff that people go crazy over. Do you want to know what I really liked about this book? Sure. I liked how matter of fact it was. Like. And I, I don't know if this is King trying to say something about 
like godhood and and what and 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 mythology but just how matter of fact the the kind of like the fact that it's almost the b plot of dark side getting the anti-life <laughs> equation and high high father dying. yeah and like yeah like there was something about that that i really refreshing is not the right word but um i was surprised that that was the tack he took in in this first issue setting up the series yeah it's interesting you say that because um I read an interview with Tom King about this book, and he was talking about how he wanted this book to act as a sort of, like, antidote to the absurd world that we live in right now, which is funny because that's the same thing that Snyder says about metal right. coming up. <laughs> and I don't think that these two projects could be any more different. But um, but he said, you know, he's trying to explain in a way – That'll sit, you know, in a, with a book that will sit on your shelf, like Watchmen and Dark Knight for years to come, that will explain or or help you or try to wrestle with the absurdity in the world, you know. And so I think that's interesting that you bring that up, Zach, because um, seeing this from Barda um, and Scott's perspective, they're, they're gods but they're almost serving the human role in this story, you know? Well, this galactic fight happens elsewhere with massive ramifications. That's absurd in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're almost serving this role as normies for now. Anyway, I I feel like that's going to change fairly quickly here. Um, And that gave the book heart in a way that, uh, we haven't seen from Tom King in a while, I think. That matter-of-factness that you're talking about, I feel like he does that in Batman, but it's cartoonish. You know, He's very matter-of-fact about who Batman is and who Bane is. Bane and Batman don't have clever lines for one another. They literally just tell each other they're going to break each other's back over and over again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no, like, yeah... Um. Yeah, so that's a really good point. I I appreciate that too about this. That that's a really, yes. I did not when 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 they were pitching this book to us, I didn't expect. I thought it was going to be more. I thought it was going to be more Mister Miracle and Barda on Earth, and it's looking like it really is like New Gods Rebirth. The way that things, I mean, who knows? This is just the first issue, but the way that they left things at the end made me think that, the, oh, this is much more massive than we've been led to believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. One thing I want to talk about with this book, and <laughs> Brian, you made fun of like the the stand part where. No, I, I, to me that that's just like that's King personified. That's that's my whole thing. It is, but can I can I defend it? Sure. And, I'm not, God, I, I never thought I would be doing this. I'm not saying it's bad, by the way. I'm not What's saying it's, I'm not saying it's bad, by the way. I'm not. Okay. I'm just... Okay, but can I even? Can I, I'm just going to defend it. You're you're right that it is the way that King writes. Like that is a, that's a style that he very much adheres to through all of his work. But 
when when we saw those preview pages, you remember I sent you a text groaning saying because it was just that scene yeah. kind of plucked out of the middle. And I sent you a text or something saying like, oh, God, here we are. This is, you know, this is I am Bane again, you know, just this overly repetitive, over like, underwritten or whatever, whatever I said. But in the context of the actual issue, um, I have to admit I was wrong about that. Because given the events of uh, Mr. Miracle trying to kill himself and and sort of the way that Barda's dealing with it, this is just the way Orion's dealing with it. And in that context, I really appreciated that approach. Like he's he's pissed, like Orion would handle it as pissed off. Right. You know, it's like the, the older brother that um that feels bad for you or whatever, or is, is, is sees you in danger and only uh, hardens, you know, to try to teach you a lesson or tell you how stupid you're being, you know? Right. And, um, and that really worked for me, even though it was using a style that have, has become tired like in the context of Batman. But I think context really matters here. And I want to, I want to go back to something I said last week about Batman, the worst issue of Batman I've read in, you know, five or 10 years. Um, I talked about how Batman essentially broke his one rule and they let him get away with it on a technicality. And that if these punches have real life consequences, then you're selling out the idea of what, uh, escapist superhero comics means. Mm-hmm. But I also I also said that it's because of the the context Batman's in. That's the mainline Batman title that informs. It's effectively informing Batman for the rebirth as a whole, right? Right. This this down the road it may mean the new gods may play a bigger role in the DCU, and this may turn out to be the catalyst for that. But it feels like its own self-contained thing, and it's very much presented that way. Uh, I don't believe the Rebirth banner was on this, right? I don't believe so. So, to me, having your Mister Miracle being suicidal, yes, you're dealing with you're dealing with a real problem, you know, when when you're talking about fantastical superheroes and gods, but it's not being presented as the main flagship of a line of escapist comics where people are punching one another all the time. I feel like in this, in this space, that's a really interesting thing to explore and it works here. Real life, you know, medical consequences work here. Um, because of that context. Does that, do you agree with that? Does that, I mean, if this, if this were in like, if all of a sudden Batman decided he was going to kill himself in the main Batman book, it would be it would seem absurd to me if they treated it with the gravity that they treat this with. Mm-hmm. But in this yeah. con in this context, this works. Context and and place definitely matters. And I'm I'm with you. Like when I first saw that preview, I had the same reaction, and I. You know, getting to see the full scene did make it more palatable, and also having kind of the bookend where it reprises that with Bart at the end. But 
it's it's different, you know, and that contextualizes it as well. So it, I, I, I'm kind of glad that maybe they gave us that out of context preview for me to get the like snark out of my system. And then when I actually <laughs> saw it, I was like, Oh, okay. It certainly yeah. lowered my expectations for the book. Yeah. Uh, so here's, I, I have one big narrative question for you guys. And when I first read the issue, I had one thought on it. And then I've changed my mind two or three times since then. Do you think that Scott is telling Godfrey the truth about the suicide attempt? Oh, no. Of course, no. No. I Okay, when I first read it, I'm like, well, of course he's, he's bullshitting here. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought that, gee, I don't know, could it be a combination? Could it be, could it be half telling the truth here? I mean... I think he's lying to himself the way that humans do right well but we don't really because we have no context for like what comes before we really don't like know why he would be wanting to kill himself and death being the ultimate inescapable you know event does i think that fits with his that is a like logical trajectory yeah so I think maybe he is, to some degree, telling the truth until we know more about you know what what he he's been what's been happening you know mm-hmm. yeah well reading between the lines I think that there there is evidence that it's essentially a, an exploration of depression through oh you think maybe it has to do with the loss of Oberon I well I think I think there's that. I think there's... But also, really quick, mm-hmm. we don't know if that's actually true. No, that's true. That's true. I'm. That just, was my there's... second question, by the way, about the narrative, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Oh, what if he did it because Darkseid is? <laughs> well, that's clearly... <laughs> well, I mean, but, like, I, 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 I'm wondering, like, it almost seems like, I mean, we're having some kind of, like, retroactive... Um, like reality such and such and I don't know I'm just thinking of like bullets fired backwards through time yeah and, <laughs> you know that kind of like some kind of like things are different and things are worse because dark side has the anti-life equation and so maybe that's all you know, it's hard to know what's true and what's not here. Yeah, I guess I would be I would be disappointed then if it were that literal. You know, um, how do you mean? I mean, like if it if this were literally, if reality is becoming undone because of Dark Side and that's causing Scott to lose his grip on reality or whatever you want to say. You know, I guess I'd be more disappointed if it was that and not a god exploring the or having found the limits of his life and being disappointed by it because because well, I, was... I think that still kind of goes along with him trying to escape the ultimate i think those two things aren't mutually exclusive okay i, I agree actually yeah okay uh so one of my questions again about this was so we, we obviously see that scott and barda have two very different uh, grips with what's happening in the world, right? 
Scott Scott's still seeing Oberon walking around. By the way, shout out to Oberon. My favorite bit of weird trivia. He's on the cover to Justice League number one. The the, <laughs> uh, the Giffen de Mateus Maguire uh, comic. Um, but like you know, he he's talking to Oberon. He's seeing him as still being alive. To Barda, he's he's dead already. Do we think that there's something to the idea that maybe either Scott was the first one changed by Darkseid having the equation, or that Scott is not being changed, everybody else is? I I would almost think that only because of the eyes comment. Like, mm-hmm. Barda's eye color changing. Right. But, I don't know. I mean, it could also just be that, that he's insane. You know, that he, it could he, be. Or not insane, but he's, he's having some break from reality, you know, some psychotic that's true break. That's uh, I And that, that's my favorite part about this, was, Zach, I think you're spot on in saying the parts of the book were matter-of-fact, but there's also a lot to chew on here. And it feels like it feels like some of these questions may not get answered in such simple ways, and that's really refreshing as well. One, one of my big problems with the Tom King... Batman runs so far as I feel like there's no mystery to anything. Everything is explained within an inch of his life. And so (laughs) it's nice to see King giving some room to breathe here. Uh, So, yeah. And I think we're we're real assholes for not mentioning uh, Jared's work until now. Oh, I I was gonna. (laughs) It's so good. I, man... I re- it's great to see like how far he's come. Not that like he, you know, not that he wasn't ever this good, but that, you know, he like came on the scene. I think the first thing I ever remember reading him was that, uh, I think the Nathan Edmondson Punisher book he did with. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was like really good. But, you know, I was just like, I never thought he would skyrocket the way he did or the way he has. Yeah. Yeah. And I never expected him as like the next essentially like Alan Moore style artist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, cause this is not, this is not Tom King doing Kirby really. This is Tom King doing Alan Moore. Right. right? Yeah, of course. And, uh, and it's amazing how much of a match Jared's is for that. And my, I just want to highlight a couple of my favorite scenes as far as the art's concerned. Uh, that scene where he's with glorious Godfrey in the middle of the book mm-hmm. and the like TV reception yep. is going in and out. And, it, the the way first of all the um, the acting that Mr. Miracle is doing while he's on stage with Godfrey with his hands and his face from panel to panel is incredible and then I love how the the flickering of the the TV that you're looking through or whatever comes across his face and sometimes where the other you know eight panels on the page, uh, the expression matched what Mr. Miracle was saying in this one panel. It zaps, the picture is messed up, and the expression on Mr. Miracle's face is like terror or something. Or just because utter of the, confusion. Just because of the way, yeah, yeah, just because of the way that it scrambled, you know? 
and then that juxtaposed with the words made for a striking image you know i sat at the i sat on that page and i said what does what could this mean you know yeah. <laughs> like is is this reality warping you know as we're watching it you know and um yeah it's just startlingly startlingly good art at times and then the other scene i wanted to talk about was the um uh, scott and and high father on the beach yeah and like it, it's like a it's like a business dad telling his son that he's got to go on a trip and he can't come to his baseball <laughs> game or something you know yeah. and just the way that it's staged and it's like scott free's throwing a rock like okay dad yeah. <laughs> like, like kicking kicking the sand yeah yeah yeah. Like, yeah yeah and bart is just like taking some selfies yeah. Yeah. And By the way, the name of my new band is Business Dad. <laughs> Business Dad. And that's that's like that's what made the the subtext that that something is wrong with Scott really strong to me like this idea that you know, he's a god, but in this context he's bored and normal and fidgety and uh you know tr- trying to test limits because of that boredom doing doing stupid things maybe because of it and and you know seeing his relationship with high father at the time there's no other way to read that than like as the kid whose uh dad is not abandoning him but you know right part-time type dude <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, it's just a really interesting presentation that in this context really worked for me. Um, I'm guys, Tom King's back and he's good again. <laughs> oh. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I, yeah. Wait and see. I know. I did I, I do want to reference one hot take that I kind of agree with um, from our, our own Walt Richardson that the um the Grant Morrison, the Grant Morrison and I'm tr- I was trying to think of the artist was it uh Freddie Williams was it him I I kind of thought that but I was second guessing myself but yeah that seven soldiers Mr. Miracle miniseries um I think was as good or better than this I mean that would that was Kirby that was yeah. more Kirby to me yes yeah uh I think that there's an interesting conversation that we're going to be having at the end of this book because, you know, there is King and Jared's put a trap door in this book, which uh, is that because Darkseid is rewriting history, everything that happens in this book can easily be washed away or this book can be used as a catalyst to change pretty much anything DC wants about the DC universe because of this, right? So um, I think it's going to be very interesting to talk about this book, not necessarily when issue 12 comes out, but two or three years from now, and we can see what what sort of role this book had in shaping the DC universe at the time. Sure. Um, did you did you Did you guys read any of Tom King's interviews on this? I did not. I, I I know I know I saw a blurb that he said that this is in continuity and will absolutely affect things going forward. Yeah, 
He had another quote that I just want to bring up because it's very interesting to me, and it was not clear at all what he meant. But at the end of one of his answers to a question about how how this affects the universe or whatever, um, he said something like, "You know, it's a it's a it's a twelve issue miniseries designed to stand on its own." We we see this as like a Watchmen style thing that that it's a perennial book that will just sell in bookstores on its own. And he said, but it, it does have ramifications. And then he said, and this was the really interesting part. He said DC would like to do one of these a year if it's successful. And I have no idea what he meant by one of these. Right, because on mean- one hand, does he mean like a perennial? Like, you know, creating a new Watchmen every year. Or does he mean a new God story? Or does he mean a King Jared story? There's a lot of ways to take that. Yeah, or does he mean a prestige book like this that's not necessarily related to Tom King or Mitch Jared's, you know? Like, something something different along these lines, you know? Like, what what did he mean by that? It could be any of a dozen things. Yeah. Or did he just mean... Was he misquoted or something, and he meant like it's a book that could sell year after year? You know what I mean. Sometimes right. they describe these books as that, and I thought that was really interesting, though. Like, d- does DC want maybe rather than rebooting all the time? Maybe you're right, Brian. If 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 this book could be used to influence the universe down the road, maybe DC can have their cake and eat it too by having a book that stands on its own but then also ripples out I just feel like what Jeff Johns is doing is more likely to, to matter in that sense than than this book but, but I thought Tom King's answer was interesting I have to say that huge red flags are thrown up for me whenever anybody compares anything they do to Watchmen yeah you just don't say but, that well, here's the thing, though. The comparison's unavoidable. You might as well face it. Like, I, I guess so. You're addicted to spuds. <laughs> Very nice weird pull there. Um, but I, I just feel like, you know, you, you can't help but sound like Oasis in 1997 by saying that you're doing the next Watchmen. So are you saying that in uh, 10 years... Uh, King and Jared's are going to hate one another and we're going to have an article every year that's just a list of all the things in pop culture that Tom King hates? Sure. Because that's what the Gallaghers are doing now? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Mitch Jared's will leave a book after three song, after three issues and, <laughs> and apologize for it. Yeah. He's not Jim Lee. Oh, that is true. Well, Jim Lee would never apologize. <laughs> Uh, friend of the show, Jim Lee. Uh, so, any other sort of uh, like stray observations or random thoughts about this uh, the issue? No, I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I, I I'm gonna say I'm legitimately excited about this book, and I did not expect to be there uh, at this point. So, yeah. Thank you, DC and Tom King and Mitch Jarrods for. For doing uh, this book, because I'm I'm pretty excited about it. So, um, should we just go uh, alphabetically from here, gentlemen? Sure. Yeah. All right. That brings us to Action Comics number nine eighty five, 
written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Guillaume March. And uh, this is, uh, I, I forgot we're getting this arc. I, I remember, you know, reading and writing about this in the soliciting columns I do for DC, for Multiversity, but I uh, I totally forgot that it was happening this soon. So we get a uh, a little break from our, our bi-weekly jurgensing. And, uh, yeah, was it just me or... Is March a really odd choice to be drawing Superman? Like I, it was, it was, it was jarring to see him drawing Superman. It, it's not just you. Okay. <laughs> I my favorite panel on this issue is the one where it looks like um, Superman's about to go Super Stan when he's yelling <laughs> Luther's name. <laughs> yeah, you know I love Gia March's uh, like cover work. But his interiors have been weird lately, haven't they? I think they're always kind of di- weird. Uh, they're different now, though. Yeah. They're, I'm thinking back to Catwoman. Like his Catwoman, his new 52 Catwoman with uh, Judd Winnick. Yeah. yeah there's, just, there's something rough about him now these days. I would say there's that roughness. Stuff I, he's, got, he's got like hints of almost jurgens going on right now yeah there's some stuff there's some stuff i really like but there's also some weird yeah i don't know i feel like his style works better on more street level stuff like he he did a bunch of those issues of talon and i feel like that's yeah. you know it, it, that fits more than than this does yeah i like that his lex luthor looks like um Lionel Barrymore from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. He looks like Mr. <laughs> Potter. I, I did not take note of that, but you're not wrong. <laughs> um, I also think... I, I also think a couple of things about how this issue is affecting the greater rebirth. Can, do you want to... I don't know. Do we want to get that deep right away? Sure. Go for sure. it. Sure. There's not much okay. to say about the issue itself. Yeah, I guess not. So this issue is all it's it's all essentially about teaming up with Lex, right? Yeah. And I I liked the line from Superman where he's like, ah, so a team up then or something like that. Like it was very very comic booky for him to like you know, normally these things are done with scorn, but there was almost like a smirk on Superman's face where he's like, ah, teaming up with my arch nemesis, you know, like yeah. he's getting some sort of pleasure out of it, which I, I thought that was fun. But but reading this and a lot of the other books this week and really since Rebirth started, it occurred to me that we're seeing a lot of the same guest stars happen over and over again in all these different books. I was going to bring like, up this is like the week of Lex. Yeah, like Lex is showing up. Lex has shown up in literally almost every other book. I feel at this point. Good old yeah. plexiglass. It's, it's always Luther. either, yeah, it's always either Lex or the Suicide Squad. Or the yeah. Suicide Squad. And so I feel let, like let me just interrupt here for one second. Did you guys happen to see the Clickhole article this week about super, about the creation of Superman? No. Oh, I just referred to Plexiglass Luthor, which is from that article. You both and all of our readers have to go Google. This clickhole article about the creation of Superman. It's the greatest. Okay. I'll do that. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um no, but uh I I just feel I feel like DC 
there must be a mandate or something where they're like, all right, almost every book needs to feature a Lex as a guest star. Almost every book has to feature Suicide Squad. Is It's like DC, like whatever big things DC's trying to push right now, they're pushing them a little bit into every book. And other stuff is, I'm thinking of the New 52 where there, there was like one month where every book was crossing over with another book. But that was crossovers all over the line and it could be anyone. And I feel like lately, like since Rebirth started, there's like three or four things that DC's trying to push and they're crossing over into every other book. You know, uh, I feel like it's a very focused effort to put this Lex Luthor all over the map. Same with the Suicide Squad. Um, to me, those are two different situations. Okay. Like, I think that all the Lex appearances this week, but also overall, have been more or less driven by the story. Like, I, I think that it makes it makes total sense for Lex to show up in all the super books because he is one of the supermen of Earth right now. Like, that just that just makes sense, right? Whereas the Suicide Squad, I feel like, is, is shoehorned into everything and feels more shoehorned. Like, I... It it'll be overkill to me if Lex is showing up in uh like Hal Jordan the Green Lantern Corps. Sure. A book that has nothing to do with what's happening on Earth right now. You know, to me that is the difference. Okay. Yeah. But I guess then for me it's weird. I think this Lex deserves his own book then. Because Because even though he is the Superman of Earth right now, or whatever, or a Superman of Earth. Mm-hmm. In the last year and a half, we've we've actually experienced relatively little of that. I feel like that warrants its own book. So when See, he shows... I feel like we've experienced a lot of it just because he shows up so often. And he was the co-lead of action for the first 12 issues or so. Yeah, but it didn't even really... F- I don't feel that like involvement with the people of earth that I am being told is there. I don't know. I want more, I guess is what I'm saying. I was going to say, I love this Lex status quo. Yeah. And I think it's really fun to have him show up places. I think Rob Williams did a great job of writing him too. Um, Maybe this is the book he needs to write. Yeah. Proving that we need to get him arrows on art. There you go. Get him the hell away from, Suicide Squad. Um, uh, and the other, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, the other point I wanted to make then is that, like, I feel like any time, and I kind of, I don't know if I sent both you and Brian this, but I feel like any time Rob Williams is, like, writing, like, he's writing a couple issues of Action, he wrote a couple issues of Trinity, you know, I feel like this, this dark Trinity or, like, Lex... You know the the like Lex, uh, Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, and who was the other member of the Dark uh, Trinity? Was it Cersei? I think yeah. it was Cersei. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like anytime he's around, he's writing these characters. There's some status quo thing building in the background that DC's going to reveal at some point. 
that they're major players in something bigger. Because otherwise, why is he doing these little fill-ins every once in a while in these other in these different books? You know? Yeah. Seems yeah. Seems really strange to me. And there was some stuff about Rachel Ghoul in a different book this week that made me think like, there's something building that you know everyone's talking about Rebirth and Watchmen, etc. No one's really talking about this. Yeah. Uh, I had an interesting Lex thought today, and I guess this is this is as good of a place as any to talk about it. I was thinking about Lex, and I was thinking about Clayface. Um, what a fun Lexi time for you! It is. I am just. I am very Lex Lexily active right now. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I adore what James Tynan is doing with Clayface right now in Detective, and I really hope that that is the Clayface status quo forever. Like, I don't want to see Clayface do a heel turn after this. I want him to stay as hero Clayface. But I think that it's inevitable that this is only a temporary Lex situation. And, yeah. And so my question is sort of, you know, how long before they uh, they let that other shoe drop and have Lex turn back to his evil ways? Well, I was going to comment on that a minute ago. Um, I feel like, you know, we've been – we're talking about how – Lex has been showing up a lot, but I feel like through all of Rebirth and even, you know, before that, this whole, you know, the status quo goes back to Forever Evil, that we're kind of in like this state of arrested development with him. And I don't mean the TV show, but where he's like, every time we see him, it's Superman being like, oh, Lex, what'd you do now? I can't trust <laughs> yeah. you anymore. You're a bad guy. And then Lex is like, no, 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 you misunderstand. And then Superman's like, okay, well, then let's team up. And we go through the same rigmarole every time. Yeah. You're not wrong. That was one thing I was going to say about this issue, actually, is Superman seems shocked by teaming up with Lex. I was like, dude, this happens every week. <laughs> yeah, you're doing this constantly. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Eating I, breakfast I know... again today. I've thought about that heel turn that you're talking about, and it would not surprise me to see DC cheat and skirt by that by reintroducing Alexander Luther like the third. You know? Oh, that has that make... has Jurgens written all over it too. Yeah. yeah, just to make him the bad guy and keep Lex as a good guy for a while. Which I would be okay with if it meant we got to keep this cool. Good guy, super Lex. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah, cool. Let's uh, let's move. On. We have, we have lots to talk about, so let's let's, <laughs> let's move on here. Uh, here's one we're not gonna have much to say about. I don't think. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number thirteen, written oh. by the Bensons, illustrated by Rose Antonio. Um, this is okay. This wasn't as bad as some of the other issues of this book. But there were some really cringeworthy moments in this issue. I know Zach didn't bother to read this. So Vince, what'd you think? Um, <laughs> I, I think this issue really felt like a, uh, like a almost like a sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remove it thing <laughs> for this book because, like. By the end, they're basically like, look, look what comes next. It's going to be Canary, Huntress, Catwoman, and Poison Ivy as the team. And uh, Barbara is going to be the Oracle again. <laughs> and, like, it's, it's almost like an apology for this, like, 
convoluted Oracle plot line that they put us through previously. Right. Yeah. And 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 it's like the pro- it's like a pro- a tacit promise to us that there's f- more fun coming. And, uh, and I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but I felt like this issue was just rushing to its conclusion to assure us that the status quo was going to be different the next time we picked up an issue. Although, that's about all I have to say about it. Although I don't think Barbara's going to remain the Oracle for more than an issue or two. No, I, she said something about, like, for this mission, I'm in the... Yeah. Uh, there was one little bit of continuity I wanted to bring up here. Which is that they eat at Batburger. <laughs> Did anyone Jokerize? I don't believe they they uh, they have revealed the Jokerization of their fries or not. So, uh, I I don't think Babs would Jokerize her fries. Well, Babs wasn't at the Babs wasn't there. Babs was uh, on comms, as it were. So. Oh yeah, you're right. Yep. They they can't tell Babs they Jokerize their fries. That's uh yeah. <laughs> that's one of those things secrets will take to the grave. Uh. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, that brings us to Detective Comics number uh, 962, written by James Tynion IV, illustrated by Alvaro Martinez. This is the finale of the Intelligence arc. We get uh, some Zatanna, we get some Azrael, we get some Rachel Ghoul. Um, Zach, since you didn't read the last issue, we'll start with you. What did you think of this issue? I read the last issue. I meant the last issue we talked about, of Background the Birds of Prey. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant of Detective Comics. No, no, no. I just mean like we didn't yeah, hear okay. from you last I, time. I, yeah. Right, right. I follow. Okay, I I follow which last time you mean now. <laughs> um, yeah, this was very, very good. I loved this. I feel like I say this a lot, but I feel like every issue I read is my new favorite issue of the series. <laughs> this book just scratches the itch, man. Um, yeah, great, great stuff with Azrael. Um, it, I really liked how that whole arc, ra- the, his his arc wrapped up, and it was cool seeing, you know, the the bat suit thing. But I'm also kind of glad we're not sticking with that. Yep. Um, so it's like best of both worlds. I thought the magic stuff with Zatanna paid off way better than I would have like ever expected. <laughs> uh-huh. I want to marry her. Oh, that's, that that was great. So good. So yeah. good. Um, and just and, and just like, uh, just uh, Cassandra saying yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then just getting a bit more of the Tim Drake stuff. Mm-hmm. Now that not that not that it was bad, but it was so obvious how tacked on that was. Because remember that was that reveal was supposed to happen an arc or two ago. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to happen and, at the end of. Uh, I forget what arc it was now, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. But can I say that I think that this works better? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than the, the other proposed way? Yeah. I think you're right, but I, I was also like, to, uh, oh, yeah, you had to figure it out somewhere, yeah. and so they just made Ascalon say it. To, uh, to pull the curtain back a little bit here, just so our listeners know, DC, we get, you know, we get review copies from DC to talk about these books with, and, uh, the original issue of Detective that we got sent to us, ha- not not of this one, but of, of that issue a few months ago, had a reveal of Tim Drake being alive. And uh, so we actually got to, got to read it both ways. And Zach, I think you're correct. I think this does work 
I think this just this gave it more of a moment. And and just it, it made like I I don't remember the exact particulars, but it kind of just had to do with like Bruce kind of out of nowhere saying like he just knew somehow, uh, and he's like yeah, I'll explain to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll explain um, this later. <laughs> right, right. Whereas, no time to talk now. Yeah. This has an actual you know MacGuffin that goes along with it, and yeah, yeah. yeah. It just worked. And uh, uh, Alvaro Martinez, Italian chef, ki- chef kissing fingers emoji. Like, oh, gorgeous. Doing the good bats work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous art. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Um, this was also – this was the issue I alluded to earlier when I said that there was a Ra's al Ghul thing that he talks about their mysterious benefactor or something, doesn't he? Yeah, that has to be Mr. Oz, right? Uh, well, I, or if there's something bigger going on here in that stuff that, like, Rob Williams, you know, I'm, it's either that or it's some other thread that we're not even thinking of yet. You know how yeah. DC likes to put things, they like to lay things down, you know, five years in advance if they can sometimes. So, Do you know what my initial thought of it was? What? It was that, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think all of us are now convinced that Mr. Oz is not Ozymandias at all. Like we we've talked about that. What if this what if Mysterious Benefactor was uh was actually Ozymandias? Yeah, because you know, he is a character notoriously with lots of money and yeah. uh you know, yeah. that it would just be an interesting twist. I don't I, think I, I don't think it's that, I, but you know. Well, I I honestly like maybe think it is that. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if it was that. Because I think they're I think that just based on like some things that Jeff Johns has said that they will use Ozymandias, but that he won't be Mr. Oz. Cause that would, would maybe be too obvious. See, I, I'm starting to think that Dr. Manhattan is the only one they're going to actually use. Well, the only, did you see that interview he did? It's, I think it was at San Diego where at the end of it, he was basically, he was like talking about this, the two, the smartest men of two universes, uh-huh. interacting during Doomsday Clock, and he said one is Lex Luthor, and then the other he got cut off. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that's what makes me think that. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you guys read the theory about? Did we talk about this? The theory about Mister Oz being the original Superman, the um, Super Hyphen Man. Yeah. You and I talked about it. That's right. You showed me the Reddit. It was on air. Yeah. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Remember? Well, maybe we should talk about it on air then. Brian, do you know what we're talking about? I I had read it briefly. I I've I have more been of the. uh, I've seen a lot of people talking about it being the pre-crisis Jor-El. Oh, I've seen that too. Yeah. Uh. But we're talking about, um, do you remember way back at the beginning of, uh, oh, that'd be interesting if it was, do you remember way back at the beginning of Rebirth when Bleeding Cool was like, it looks like DC is going to release a book about the Pre-Crisis Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that didn't end up happening. 
and then it was maybe a misunderstanding because new Superman is spelled with a right. It's hyphenated, yeah. But I'm wondering if Rich, (laughs) this is way out of left field speculation. I'm wondering if he got that tip, and if there weren't wires crossed, and that that character was going to be used, but it wasn't a new ongoing or it wasn't a new comic, but that he is. Mr. Oz, and that that's the role he's going to play, and and Rich knew it all the way back then. Now, are I think we? That's a stretch. Well, are, okay. Here's my question: Are we talking about Earth Two Superman? Like, no, are, we're not talking no. about the Superman from Final Crisis. I mean, from, we're from, not from, from about Infinite any, Crisis. We're not talking about any of those. We're right. talking about these, like the original, like leaping tall buildings in a single bound. No. no. No, we're talking about the before that. What is that called? It's something. I think of it's the, just called uh, something oh. of the Superman. Yes, Rain it was the, like a short story. Is it Reign of the Super? Reign of the Superman. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a short written by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and it's. You sure you didn't read the clinical article? <laughs> no is he Rain mostly the... circumcised <laughs> Reign of the Superman January 1933 short story written by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster it was first published use by the writer artist duo of the name Superman which they later applied to their uh, fictional superhero the title character of this sort is a telepathic villain rather than a physically powered hero and he is bald and he's bald he looks quite a lot like Lex Luthor. Is he an avid jogger? I, 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 I'm just referencing all the things from this clickle article. Um, but no, uh, well, here's my question with that. There, there are such sticky copyright issues with Superman's creation. Would uh. DC have, have even access to this character? Because I couldn't see... I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking this might be a stretch. Yeah. I, I think it's also a character that isn't, like, it's not that well known. It would be a stretch because nobody would know what the hell it is. Right, yeah. I just think it's really well, fascinating. If because... it also, I mean, who knows where the, like, rights to it are even tied up. That's in, what I mean, yeah. It, I mean, like, oh. if it, like, I mean, it's really old, would, would it have I don't know how like public domain stuff works. It keeps uh, changing. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that before Rebirth even was announced, Rich was like, They're doing a they're doing a book about this character. And then it never happened. And it turned out to be New Superman. Yeah. That's that's the part that sticks with me. Like that's such an obscure thing to pull out all the way back then. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I could be full of it. I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to think that no matter what, everyone's going to be, like, I think, I think people people were mad. When, it's going to be Bibbo, isn't it? I hope, God damn, I hope it's Bibbo. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, uh, I feel like everybody was mad when fake Clark Kent wasn't somebody more important. I feel like... Mr. Oz has been built up twice as much as fake Clark Kent has been built up. 
and uh, no one's going to be satisfied with it. If yeah. it's if it's Jarrell, I'm going to be annoyed because I think that doesn't make sense to me. Pre-crisis Jarrell. Yeah, still even like why a like why is pre-crisis Jarrell still hanging around? Like of all people to exist from a pre-crisis continuity, why why is he special? Did he did he put himself in a in a transdimensional rocket ship right before Krypton exploded? <laughs> he was literally blown from Krypton to our Earth. <laughs> there you Whoa! go. Um. I know I was the big uh, Connor Kent guy when this, uh, at one point. I'm starting to think it's going to be Alexander Luther. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to guess everyone until we get yeah. it right. We'll know next month. Yep. So. It's it, it's going to be the king of desserts for Mad Men. Who is Bibbo? We've established this. This is <laughs> canon. Bibbo, yeah. this, this is DC right. canon at this point. Exactly. And also Mr. Belding. Yes. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. I was trying to pull a third roll. Couldn't do it. Um, for, for Dennis Haskins? Yes, for Dennis Haskins, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I no Failed idea. stand-up comic? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Belding from the flashback when he was a 70s DJ in oh, the opening yeah. credits. There we go. Yeah. Yep. Um. All right, well, that brings us to The Flash, number 28, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Carmine D.G. Domenico. And uh, this is the beginning of the uh, the negative Flash arc here. And uh, I don't know about you guys. I, I, I think my biggest criticism with Williamson's The Flash so far, which overall I have really enjoyed, I think he really doubles down on filling the audience in on everything that's happened before in such a matter-of-fact way. Like, there are two different points in this issue where Barry Allen, through an internal monologue, just, like, straight-up recaps what happened last month. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. I've, I've come to... I've come to... Uh realize that I'm just going to ingest that as part of the style of the book. Mm-hmm. Like I just expect, and that's kind of something that, that's something that flash writers have been doing lately, whether it's Jeff Johns or, or Joshua Williamson. There's a lot of this, like, it's going to show him running for a while and like fixing a problem or solving a crime while he's running. But he's also going to be like thinking about his life and explaining to you what he just happened, you know, like right. what had just happened. I feel like Which, that's a, a trope that I, has become flash. Yeah. And it, it almost maybe kind of makes sense, you know, if you have this guy who just runs around really fast all the time, and like, what else is? He? I mean, I don't, I you, I don't know. He 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 just moves quickly. He he's not like really talking to people, so he probably just like monologues really fast in his head a lot. You know? Yeah. Actually, but not... I think you're. I think you're right, Brian. I think that's that is a thing. Yeah, I, I think it also might just be a function of that. Like, it's the Flash, so you have to show him running all the time, but you have yeah. to give him something to do while he's running. Right. That's right. kind of what. I, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. 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 And, um, but I like this. It's it's kind of um, resetting the table for a new arc 
and like Barry's got this negative speed force where he's accidentally causing all this collateral damage and um and it sets up like a new status quo for Barry essentially like he's basically he's been told like all right this is a special job you got one last chance to come through for us you're a screw up Barry and then like Barry's lost Iris to some other dude some lamo and uh it's just continuing the trend of like the very spider spidey-esque you know trying to balance work and life and superheroing and not being very good at it it it, it works it's a proven formula yeah uh, I, art is awesome i was just gonna say the same thing yeah um yeah i i i kind of am uh i'm kind of wishing that this was a bit more of an optimistic book i feel like the flash is a very optimistic character and the book so far has been a pretty negative one, just just because of all that Barry's gone through since it started. Um, but you know, I'm still enjoying it. I still think that Williamson is is writing a a compelling story. I just personally wish it was a little bit of, of a sunnier story. Yeah, but that that's a personal preference thing. It's not. It's not going to stop me from reading the issue. You know. Um, anything else to add, Zach? The art is very good. It is. All right, now comes. I like the. Sorry. I like the negative. Oh, I was just gonna say I like the the like negative flash effects that he does. Mm-hmm. It's it's just you know a nice interesting um, shake up. He does yeah he does a good job of of giving it enough like visual flair and and variance from the from the regular i like it i like this scene there's like one panel that i really liked where he's like running away and his like little symbol like stays in place yeah (laughs) yeah so still doing good work yeah uh that brings me to the most surprising issue of the week i think Uh, how jordan and the green lantern Corps, number 26 written by robert venditti illustrated by rafa sandoval um we get uh a lot of overtones to both metal and we get full-on new gods as well yeah yeah there's a lot of uh characters they, they were saying metal a lot that's for was... sure <laughs> yes. metal, metal. yeah this issue i like this a lot yeah um i'm i'm not gonna play the where does this take place in the mr miracle timeline game but it is funny that both that we haven't seen Orion in years, and he shows up twice in the same week. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I thought this was okay. Um, we got Sandoval back. Uh, Sandoval, Sandoval was nice, and I, I too do not care about timelines or when th- you know how could the how could orion possibly be doing this and whatever's going on in yeah. mr miracle i don't well, care he clearly he clearly left scott barda's house and yeah. and came right here came itchy right here, itchy hits the same rib on scratchy twice but it has a different xylophone <laughs> tone i i know <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> no i don't care i don't care about that but what i do care about is that 
weirdly, I preferred the Orion that we saw in Mr. Miracle than this one. Uh... I don't... Yeah, I don't know why, but I, I did. I, th- I think they're both okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it's really, again, I think it's just, it's odd timing. And I think it's, I mean, the only writers to touch Orion, if I remember from the New 52, were Venditti, because this was, they did that, um, what was that arc called? Um, Lights Out? Was that, was that the one? No, no that, that was, was earlier. Yeah. Whatever it was, uh, the uh, God, the God, God Watch? God. God. God, Godhead. Godhead, thank you. Uh, you know, he did that, and then uh, he was obviously part of Wonder Woman, and he was also part of the Superman run that Aaron Cooter drew, that I think was maybe Lobdell. Uh, it was, it was Lobdell. Yeah, um, but like it's just it's, it's interesting to me that Venditti is you know the only writer now to touch him in two in in the two most recent uh, continuity periods here. Um, I think that, uh, I think this book is way more interesting than I thought it would be. That's, that's my biggest takeaway from this book is that there's more interesting stuff happening here than I thought would have when the book started. And Sandoval's art is great. It's, uh, yeah, really good. It's, it's funny this book and Green Lanterns are still playing that, you know, up and up and down thing. Yeah, for sure. I keep flip-flopping on them, on both of them. Yeah. Well, Vince, did you read Harley Quinn this week? No. Did you even page through it? No. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> that brings us to Justice of America, number 12, The Quest for Ray Palmer. Crisis in the Microverse, written by Steve search Orlando. Search for more money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, written by Steve Orlando, uh, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Um, we get Lobo saying the term rub one out. Fantastic. Folks, folks, Lobo likes jacking it. <laughs> that is the least surprising Lobo trait, I think. Um, in the whole world, but uh, yeah, this was uh, this was really fun. This was this. Okay, I've been up and down on JLA. Mostly have liked it. This is finally the issue that fully delivered on the promise of a Steve Orlando just League of America for me. Like this was a joy from beginning to end. It's absurd. It features like Batman getting involved in absurd mission, like an absurd mission, and just being totally gung ho about it. They get into something called the Shrink Ship. <laughs> you know, Lobo cranks his hogs. It's, it's it's amazing. <laughs> this was this was amazing. Um. I always forget the name of the character. Who's the guy? They're like tech guy now. Xenos? Xenos. Oh, yeah, it's something like I forget his name because it's so like it's weird. It sounds like a 
like a right Greek god yeah. or something. But but yeah, me too. I, I was going like to say they would kind of hinted that he and uh, Ray were attracted to each other, but I feel like they skipped all the will they won't they stuff to just like they're watching movies and drinking wine together now. They they're clearly they're clearly coupling, and that's good. Yeah. Good for Steve Orlando for skipping the the boring stuff and getting to you know where there's some interesting interaction between the two of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I really enjoyed this issue, and I'm so glad this book exists. This is by far the better Justice League yeah. book that we're getting monthly. Definitely, and this is you know this is the arc that we've kind of been waiting for. I think. I, that's the yeah. one I've been waiting for. Yeah. It uh, did any was anyone else weirded out by uh, Batman's weird like? I I did I did notice that. Yeah. To me, that's that's almost yeah. as weird as uh, there's a panel of of Ray and uh, Zenos whatever sitting on a couch where the bottom panel of that page Ray looks exactly like Empire Strikes Back era Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, I was I really taken it. by that. So, so very handsome. handsome yes, post motorcycle accident, very handsome. Um, yeah. My question for you guys is, uh, what are the odds that's actually Ray Palmer at the end of the issue? Zero percent or one percent? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say, uh, well, I don't know that. So, not the last page, but the page before that, just kind of like beat us over the head with. Well, actually, it just beat us over the head. It didn't say one way or the other. Yeah. It's just like, I recognize yeah. that uniform. Who is that? <laughs> oh, it can't be. His belt. It, you said there were only two belts. Do you know him? I don't yeah. know. He has the belt. Yeah, like the belt, Like nobody can wear someone else's <laughs> belt. Wait a second. I know that belt. Is uh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to say 0%. Yeah, I'm going to say 0 as well, but that is it a very is. cool design. I, I, I really hope that looks. they pulled the yeah. hood off, and it's the, uh, <laughs> the like, not at all Jessica Rabbit, Jessica Rabbit from the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> oh, man! You know who I'm talking about? I hope it's that character. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. That... that... That movie. You better not be hating on that movie. <laughs> no, I'm not hating on it. It's just, it's, it's oh, real yeah. disturbing. As I recently tweeted, that scene with the shoe <laughs> going on the dip is the saddest scene in movie history. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> Sophie's Choice. <laughs> I have seen Schindler's List. That is the saddest scene in movie history. That poor shoe didn't oh, do a God. goddamn thing to anybody. Anyway, moving on. Uh, that brings us to Justice League, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, number five, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Stephen Byrne. Guys, I want these. I want this team on a Justice League book right now. This is so good. Maybe, it's a delight. Maybe Tom Taylor can get Justice League after yeah. Hitch leaves. Man. Maybe. I, I have never... Great. In, I have never seen an episode of Power Rangers, never read a Power Rangers comic. I understand these characters perfectly. 
Everything is introduced really well. There's some really funny shit in this book. Like when Batman takes the kryptonite that was just used to almost kill Superman, he just puts it in his utility belt on the sly. Like, you know, <laughs> this, this is a really great comic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And then for it to end with Alpha 5 using Lord Zed's thing to make himself huge and join the fight. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, it, it's really fun. Yeah. Really, really And it fun. looks so great. Stephen Byrne does such good mm-hmm. work here. Um, the characters just look iconic. I feel like that's why this art works for this story so well, is that he just has, like, he has found the exact right way to draw all these characters that they fit into the same universe, but more than that, that they feel like the essential versions of themselves. Yeah. Just not busy. It's clean. Just, yeah. Just, yeah. <clears throat> so good. It's the exact presentation also that you want to give to fans the crossover like, fans i don't know yeah yeah to like yes exactly exactly like somebody who d- doesn't necessarily read justice league or dc but they like power rangers and so they yeah. buy this you know seems like that's a fringe group but still you know doesn't hurt to cater to them yeah uh please let tom taylor and stephen burton take over justice league please I'm hoping that's why this book was delayed for a while. Because they had to get their first arc of Justice League done. What's the... I'm thinking it was more likely that the movie was coming out and then that turned out to be a huge bomb. And Yeah. Or or the art just needed more time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that brings us to Vince's Baby, New Superman, number 14. Written by Gene <sighs> Yang, illustrated by Billy Tan. Uh, we got uh, Fat Batman making out with half Snake Wonder Woman. <laughs> so uh, we good. got uh, a nice August General and Iron appearance. This is this was really good, guys. Yeah, what a great, what a great comic. One of the one of the best DC's putting. My out, fear is that this me. is going to be canceled with Just... number eighteen. Also, oh, I think yes, I think that's almost certainly. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Even the Suicide Squad showing up didn't piss me off. It kind of pissed me off. (laughs) Somehow. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) At least a little bit. But it was balanced out by the sweet uh, Batman and Wonder Woman moment. That that was was so nice. What a nice little payoff. That That was like what you were saying about Steve Orlando and like the Xenos character, except like that was the will they won't they thing done well. And done in in pretty much one and a half issues. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't really. Yeah, they didn't labor. It wasn't Jim and Pam. Um, Yeah. Something, something, (laughs) prison Mike. The Dementors. Uh, (laughs) I would love to see. We talk a lot about bringing back like the Beyond universe and stuff like that, like Beyond Batman Beyond, right? But I would love to see a Justice League of China digital first series. 
you know what this issue made me want? What's that? Not that, I guess it, I, I didn't think about it until this issue. I would really like a new Superman JLA crossover where we get like a Justice League of Two Nations. Oh man! Oh yeah! Hot damn! Yeah, it would be, be fun. You know, the, with Orlando and, Yang, and yeah. Yang together. Oh, that'd wow. be great. You know what this made me want? What? A super kawaii uh, new Superman Justice League of China dating sim <laughs> to play. Uh, <laughs> Where you have to make you have to make the uh, Wonder Woman of China fall in love with the Batman of China. Kawaii is Japanese. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any <laughs> excuse for. But what we really need is for the super young team. Yeah. To come back. Yes. And be, and and they need a digital first. Too. See, here's here's You're the right. thing. Like, China is this giant market for that all media companies are trying to break into, right? If you did a digital first Justice League of China comic. It would be so easy to translate that into any language you wanted to and sell it online. Yeah. And it would be interesting too, like didn't Marvel just announce that they were doing a a series that will release in it's written by written and illustrated by Chinese artists, I believe, and yes. it will be released in China first. Yes. Yep. This seems kind of ready-made for that. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. And I have to say, while I miss Victor Bogdanovic, Billy Tan's been doing some really nice work these past few issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his character work is great. Yeah. Um, Bogdanovic's got to tell us who Mr. Oz is. <laughs> he is. He's going to call us up individually. on that. Yeah. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Bippo. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, all right. Uh, that brings us over to. All right, here we go, guys. Uh, the Newsboy Legion Boy Commandos special, <laughs> written and illustrated Ooh. by uh, by Hart Howard Chaikin. So. Who made it the farthest into this? I was going to ask. Uh, Zach, how far did you make it in? I made it, I think it was about 12 or 13 pages. I definitely made it to Manhattan. Yeah. I, I made it to Manhattan. I made it. And that's. Let's see. I can tell you exactly where I was like, no, life's too short. Um, it was page. Oh, say a couple pages later, Zach. I, I made it like two pages more, two pages past that. It, uh, it, go ahead, Vince. I, I made it like five or six pages. <laughs> so I oh. win! Woo! Yeah. All right. I, I don't know. Do you? No, I lost. I mean, I, I lost <laughs> I lost everything, guys. Um, but, God, is this the most boring comic ever made, or, or what? Was that supposed to be the Newsboy Legion? Which ones were the? I, I know, I know who the Newsboy Legion was, but 
that was about the only thing I could make sense of. Listen, Howard Jenkins sucks. Let's just let's just lay it out there. <laughs> I'm willing to say it. Artistically or as a person? Pick your pick your poison. Okay. I don't mind him artistically. You know what I hate that he's been doing lately? Like I I I like aesthetically I like his older art well enough. Mm-hmm. But I hate how much apparent photoshopping is going on or or what I, I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know MS what painting is. MS painting. Is that it? No, it's gotta I'm be. joking. It's Why does it. everyone look like their jaw is like sewed on? <laughs> yeah. Like and everyone has like stitches. Everyone has stitches. He, the characters look like they're transposed on backgrounds that came from some generic background thing that you pay four channers to do art for you or something. Yeah. And like everybody had their wisdom teeth out because their cheeks are super swollen. Yeah, that's all. That's been his thing, and like, and also like. Any patterns in the clothing or backgrounds or environment are just digitally replicated, so they look super cheap and fake, and I guess that's how he punches stuff out so fast these days, but man, is it tough to look at. I can't I can't look at it anymore, and just so wordy and bored. No comic needs to have this many words. You called Superman twenty eight the like wordiest comic ever last week. Yeah, and a week later it was trumped. <laughs> I just feel like when I know that this is a big part of who Kirby was as a creator, but I feel like if you're trying to celebrate the history of Kirby, this is probably one of the harder sells. So you you so you want to put somebody on it who's going to really get what made these Kirby stories great. And Shaken seems to have missed all those points. Like this is the oh, one yeah, you have, he's totally not suited. This is the one you gotta pull the really big guns out because the Newsboy Legion is a and the Boy Commandos are tough cells no matter what. You know. Yeah. I'm just not a fan of Shaken's like Bullshit. His interest and his Yes. His interests and his obsessions as an artist are just so, like, outdated and played out to me. And people who defend him th- think that it's some sort of, like, oh, well, he's he's a, he's a tough old guy that's one of the guys that sticks it to the man, you know? And it's like, no, it comes off as, like, just petulant and stupid. And that's not really reflected in this comic. It's just the way I feel about him. But, like... I, he clearly has no interest in entertaining anyone <laughs> with with what he does, you know? Yeah. Like, this isn't entertaining at all. Who likes this? I have no idea. And, and the other thing I know about Chaykin is that he doesn't listen to criticism at all, so he won't hear this, and and <laughs> so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> Ann Landers is a boring old biddy. <laughs> I was more monster than man that night. Yeah, that's what he's. <laughs> that's so good. 
That brings us to Red Hood and the Outlaws. Number, uh, is it 23? 13, I'm sorry. I was 10 issues ahead. I was like, that seems way too far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Dexter Soy. Guys, talk about an entertaining this, issue. This is great. Is this, this the best thing that Lobdell's ever written? It might it's be the best be. thing Lobdell's ever written. I've certainly never read anything better from him. And this Dexter so Soy good. needs an award for this. All the different styles that he does, like the those memories that are like the fake Superman memories that Bizarro is is having, looked so great. And then you had those like weird, like psychedelic melting memories later in the issue. Plus, you get the regular like reality stuff. It was this is an artistic tour de force. This is a great issue. This was actually funny. Like Scott Lobdell wrote Bizarro speak and things that were it, funny and charming and a little like like heart warming slash breaking yeah like he made me scott labdell made me feel a feeling even something <laughs> as dumb as calling green lantern nightlight yeah wet wet go go <laughs> yeah wet, yeah i was like oh he's a baby now like, yeah rope lady <laughs> so, i like cyborg yeah yeah cyborg yeah I wish it was yeah. S-Y, like a Jewish first name, you know, Cyborg. <laughs> that would be a little better, but but yeah. this Cy- is... Cyborgman. <laughs> Cyborgowitz. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this was a really good issue. It ended in a surprising, fun place. So oh, fantastic. So good. What a fantastic twist. Uh, Again, have him good Luthor. Good Luthor yeah, here. Good Luthor, like paying off on like forever evil plot lines that I assume no one would ever like reference again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So good. So good. I, uh, I can't believe I'm like this happy about a Scott LaBelle comic. Yeah. But I am. Everything about this worked. Every single thing about this worked. I, uh, the pacing was incredible. Like, yeah, I felt like no, you know, we liked the opening arc of this, and then we found the next one really boring and like poorly paced. But this was just humming along. This was, this was good shit. Yes. Uh, yes, it was. Scott Lobdell, I don't know what you did, but thank you. <laughs> Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Something that shouldn't be kept doing is uh, Suicide Squad number 23, written by <sighs> Rob Williams. Uh, who illustrated this issue? I don't know. I, can't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't read it. Uh, Gus Vasquez illustrated this issue. Okay. Uh, I read it. It was bad. It was bad. It looked right. There was, there was some decent art moments in there. Uh, there was a really puzzling character choice. Here. So first of all, Vince, just to fill you in and the listener in, I guess, uh, Amanda Waller decides she wants Killer Frost back for reasons that like aren't really well established at all. Just like she wants her back. And so she sends a Suicide Squad after her and Batman shows up and is like, fuck you, she's my teammate. And, uh, and then he 
I, he does he does the most Batman thing possible, which is that he's figured out the frequency of their brain bombs, and so he like he knocks them all out. But then Katana, who doesn't have a brain bomb, comes up and slashes Batman across the back with her sword, and takes uh, Killer Frost. Like, why the fuck would Katana do that? It didn't make sense because she was like. Waller, what have you made me do? But I don't. Yeah, it didn't make but any sense. But I don't have a brain bomb, so. Waller, yeah. what what have you done to me? Like, what the fuck? But, but then she she calls her uh, Tatsu. Is that her name, or is that the name of the ghost in the sword? No, that's. I'm pretty sure that's her name. Okay. Because the sword is saying shame, shame after that. Uh, yeah, her name is Tatsu. Okay. Um, but yeah. And it, it literally ends with Batman going, Waller! <laughs> Mahoney! <laughs> Mendoza! Uh, <laughs> I'm going full on, like, season five Simpsons here tonight. So. Yeah, prime prime time right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Zach, anything to add to this or no? Um, no, this is really bad. It's so aimless. Yep. Just from hearing you guys describe it, it's like it's just aimless. Uh, well, that brings us to Supergirl number twelve, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Robson Roca. Um, we get in this issue a little bit of Saturn Girl talk, which we were mm-hmm. promised a while ago. But it's just showing up now. We also get uh, a pretty inspired supervillain team. We get the the, the new Fatal Five of yeah. Selena, who I'm not very familiar with. Uh, no. Solomon Grundy, Magog, em- Emerald Empress, and uh, Indigo. Selena is from the... I'm sorry, say that again? You broke up for a second. Selena's from the Supergirl movie. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I don't know if she's ever been in a comic before, but... That's really interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I think one of the one of the things that I've had problems with this book, and not problems is the wrong word, I just felt like it took a while for this book to find its footing and to tell a story that felt like a um that, that that felt new and true to this iteration of the character and i think that this is the beginning of that yeah yeah that's a lot of fun finally had a nice balance between kind of all the different aspects of kara's life um And the, and the art was good. Yeah. Yeah, Roka moving over from, I believe, one of the Lantern books, right? Yeah, he was, he was on Green, Green Lanterns. Lanterns. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting that after using him as Cyborg Superman for the first arc, Steve Orlando has been forced by Dan Jurgens to 
to to de cyborg him in a in a uh, what the fuck is called in Star Wars the um, back to tank back to tank thank you yeah it's uh, a life support polymer as <laughs> it's called in this book yeah it's a back to tank um but yeah um I thought this was fun yeah 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 it was good I like yeah. This is, it's cool to see some of these characters who we don't see very often. And this this is following up on plot threads from the Rebirth special, from Justice League versus Suicide Squad. You know, this is a nice sort of, uh, you know, uh, just travelogue through a very particular corner of the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and- Edge. Yeah, and I th- I think it was very like I'm a sucker for books like this, but it was also very Spider Man in its approach to like in this case I I thought of like the Sinister Six coming together and you know in Spider Man it always feels like and any any number of villains can show up in any arc to sort of spoil things and I feel like if if Orlando is like working on building a a rogues gallery for Supergirl that so far so good. Yeah. And I, I don't think the Solomon Grundy or Magog is necessarily going to become part of her regular rogues gallery, but I think no. that, but your, your point still stands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to Superwoman number 13 written by Kate Perkins, illustrated by Steven Segovia. Um, another Lex Luthor appearance here. Sexy Lexi. Sexy Lexi. Um, so this was, uh, a lot of this issue is flashback to Lana and Clark in high school, which I don't believe we've seen in a very long time. Yeah. But I I was so into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that idea. Yeah. Of, like, of Lex as, like, the, the, the nerdy suck up like the the Stephen Miller of, <laughs> of whatever school the Smallville High yeah this well this was like very Smallville esque it was like especially with the red kryptonite stuff like yeah. that like felt straight out of Smallville but this also felt like small if Smallville had been like a Saved by the Bell type comedy. <laughs> if the writing staff considered continuity at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so is the red kryptonite the pills that Jesse Spano takes to... Yes. That start to freak her out? She is so excited and so scared. Yes. <laughs> um, I loved Clark getting detention by calling Shakespeare long-wind- calling him long-winded and boring. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's that's the that's the bitty joke. That from, is the bitty uh, joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really great when when he's like, she's she's like, what are you doing? I I'm being a troublemaker. Yeah. I'm being a a delinquent, yeah. bad little boy. And a nice Gabo reference there. Since we're going, uh... <laughs> all the kids in Smallville are SOBs. <laughs> God 
<laughs> uh, but you're right, Zach. The red kryptonite is like straight out of Smallville. That's uh, the the show, not 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 the uh, small Kansas right, town. Right. Um, I think it's fu- I think it's funny that you guys had the patience for Smallville. I watched a good three or four seasons of Smallville. <laughs> I'm sure I you did. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, how did you how did you do that? I watched Amy uh, Adams well, am, on that show. I am younger. Yeah. I am the youngest, so I watched it for a long time because I was young and didn't know better. Yeah. And then I finally just finished it out of morbid curiosity. See, oh, there you go. I was a freshman in college when it debuted. So my friends and I would watch it every week and kind of like laugh through it, you know. But then I came back for the final season because they announced it as a final season. There was going to be a JSA episode. There's going to be a Star Girl. You know, I had to tune in for that. And uh, the uh, the guy that played Hawkman in that episode had the most over pronunciation of Hawk Girl's name. So let's let's. So how would you guys pronounce Hawk Girl's? Shyera. Yeah, how you'd say it every time. Shyera. And every syllable I screamed. You know. Uh, yeah, I still remember that. So. Yeah. You should watch Smallville, Vince. Matt, well, will, will you pay me to write? Like, no, you won't. Never mind. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll pay you in. Uh, I don't, know, I don't know. Kind words. You'll, you'll give me five B's for a quarter. Exactly. <laughs> nice, nicely done. We're just gonna keep keep that going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is Titans uh, number fourteen, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Brett Booth. <laughs> um, a, a very special issue of Titans. For a number of reasons. First of all, <laughs> let me just say, this book is proof positive that DC listens to our podcast. 100%. We have been on the Titans pizza train since the very beginning, and now they're doing entire like major plot points about pizza. This is proof they listen. It's, it's gotta be. Dan, Dan I don't, we love I don't you. believe in coincidence. It has to be. Yeah. No. We love you, Danny. Um... Uh, I don't know if you guys saw somebody had posted on Twitter. I think our friend Ken Gobertson retweeted it. They put the cover of this and the variant cover. I forget who did the variant cover. And they said, can you imagine if the interiors of this book looked more like the variant cover than the regular cover? Uh, and it was like, you know, oh, man. This book really it was, does. Uh, Go ahead. It was Dan Mora was the artist. Oh, okay. I like mm-hmm. his work. Um, yeah. This book just, like... I I don't mean to pick on Brett Booth every single time we review this comic, but it just his art doesn't work for me here. No, no this the script the script to this issue would be so much better with like Dan Mora art, for example. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just it's just the, something about the high drama of it all. You know. Yeah. Like this is. This is very much superhero soap opera, and it just doesn't work when it's rubbery pizza and and goofy, stretchy, jagged everything. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the the panel with with Tempest holding the pizza and just yelling, "Spit it out now!" <laughs> 
So good. So well, we're honored, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Um, my my least favorite panel is the panel of Wally and Roy about to punch each other, where they're <laughs> both just moving in the most unnatural, posed, possible move movement. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. What's What's more unnatural that that pose mm-hmm. or the use of Hogwarts Hogwarted as a verb? I was thinking the same thing. That is a horrible, I, horrible uh, abomination of English. And I love making everything into a verb. So uh, I saw a centrist Dem do that on Twitter with the word Hogwarts. So no, <laughs> no. no, that's the least surprising thing I've heard all day. Uh, so, yeah. so you know, there, there's been a couple of issues now where we've been told that there is a a Titan who's going to betray everybody. Last week, we were led to believe, last month, we were led to believe it was Lilith. This month answers the question in the weirdest possible way. It was really weird. I don't get what happened. So let's just, so let's just recap here. So all the Titans put this starfish motherfucking looking thing on their head. And this computer program is going to analyze them and look for secrets. That was fantastic, right? Isn't that what it was like? Uh, yes, I'm just picturing. Yes, it was a like. What did he call it? There was a name for it. Um, keep talking. I'll look it up. Uh, I'm just. I feel like this is going to be another reference square in Vince's wheelhouse right now. That it was going to be like you know Nightwing secrets, like you know. <laughs> Uh, just a uh, like it's such a weird thing to say like a hunt for secrets like what if the secret is like IP sitting down like is that gonna come out in this like what are the it's just it's it, it's so vague it was evidence of clandestine collusion <laughs> the computer could somehow scan for that so it's the Trump alarm got it okay yeah yes Here you go um so boy. Here, here is what I'm going to say is is the but anyway. So let me just back up here again. So all the Titans are waiting, hungry as shit because their pizza's poisoned, and Dick is at the computer and he is going over the results. And you know it says uh, scan results completed. It lists all the char- all the characters and it says evidence of clandestine collusion detected. Subject Grayson Richard. And then he erases it and. Uh, Starts speaking and says, this is Nightwing, I know everything now, and it won't be long before the Titans find out my role in this, so tell me, how do you want me to proceed? What are the odds that uh, that he's talking to either Batman or Spiral? Well, look at the, look at the hooded figures down there. Don't... The first thing I thought of, and I could be totally wrong, was that group of hooded metal figures from uh uh dark days oh George. okay that that's the first thing i thought of now whether that's what that is or not but i i feel like you know clandestine activity that that sort of exp- that's that's dick grace over the last three years yes you're right um you're right i don't know i just, I just... think what but I just still don't like what what is happening in this last scene? He's, still, 
he, so, so Dick, Dick has been revealed. Data. Yeah, Dick has yeah, been revealed he deletes as a traitor. The data. He, deletes he it. doesn't. Yep. He doesn't answer their question, and then we see he, he starts talking to the camera, but also to the people. But the team, the Titans are right there. I believe he's see, in like, a different room. So here's the thing. This is where a better artist could have sold this better. Absolutely. You know, yeah. that, like. Like, d- this book seems silly because of the way it ends, because of the art. Yes. But this idea is super compelling if it's delivered in a competent fashion. He is the least know? likely Titan you expect to betray the team. To have him do so is, like you said, it's a compelling idea. And, you know, Brett Booth draws him. I, I know he's trying to, like, speak into an earpiece here or something. But he looks like he's singing harmony on We Are the World. Like, you know, his hand over <laughs> well, his while ear. taking his shit. Yeah, while taking his shit. Well, echoes that saying. Yeah, it's just it's just he's sitting there. Yeah. It's just such a poorly constructed page. It's such a yeah. This is uh I don't know why like I don't know anybody who is who likes what Brett Booth is doing on this book. Oh, I do. Do you really? Oh, I've seen it online. That's for sure. Oh, okay. He's got he's got a legion of fans. I'm sure. And again, like I I, I think that he is good at what he does, but what he does is so ill suited for this book. There are books that his style could possibly work on. I'm not saying he's he's a bad artist. He's a bad artist for this book. He'd be great on a Scooby Apocalypse. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Put him at, have him illustrate Howard Chaikin's uh, Rough and Ready. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. We don't have to read that, do we? Oh, we might have to read that. I mean, traditionally we don't uh, do the Hanna-Barbera, but uh, we could make an exception for a book we know is truly going to be terrible. I feel like we should have the same challenge so you can get the furthest in that book. Okay. That's, that'll okay. Be the, that's, that, that's the deal. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that does it for this week. I, I do want to take a moment to pour one out for Gotham Academy second semester, which wrapped up mm. this week. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a tease a while back that these characters would return and that this wasn't the end of the book. But that tone has changed considerably. Uh, all the creators have been posting to social media, essentially, this is the end of the book. And, uh, you know, uh, there was there was an email sent by DC that, that seemed to confirm the same thing. And I'm sure that these characters will pop up again someplace. And I think that DC would be really dumb to not try and capitalize on the bookstore market with this. Because this seems like the perfect title to transition into a line of of young adult OGNs or something. Um, But I know we didn't talk about it. They don't do that. Well, they don't do that, yeah. Um, But, you know, I know we didn't talk about it a lot. I know I'm certainly not caught up with it. But I'm very glad that Gotham Academy existed. And I'm, I'm glad that it lasted as long as it did, even if it it did, you know, go out 
probably earlier than any of the creators would have liked it to. Uh, good for Gotham Academy for existing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was... For, for a, a short, bright, shining time, it was something really special at, at DC. Very you know, different. It, it, yeah, and I mean, it was kind of part of that wave that really, like, launched the revitalization of DC, sort of. Yeah, I credit that almost, not quite as much as Batgirl of Burnside, mm-hmm. but it's certainly part of that same conversation. Yeah. It was the first DC book in a very long time that didn't look or feel like any other DC book. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like it was a book that it's it's probably a book that's made made some people want to write comics, I feel, and also um made some creators reconsider maybe working at DC too, you know, like I feel like it's, it shows that, Oh wow. Like DC is willing to try something like this, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no tangible evidence that that was the case, but like there was clear, there was more enthusiasm that I saw from people in the industry for this book than, you know, the average person who reads and talks about comics on a regular basis, which I think that says something, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I think DC really should do something with these characters and maybe they will, but it seemed this week, like everybody was coming to grips with this being the end of this book, uh, in a way that felt very different than when the first volume wrapped up. Mm hmm. But who knows? Who knows? But who knows? Thank you to everyone involved with that book. Uh, good for you to, uh, you know, that you got such a run on the characters, and uh, you know, hope to see you around yeah. soon. Yeah, in total, it was like a, a thirty-issue run plus a few like side stuff. So, not many books get that. No, especially not books that the main characters are not already established. Super, yeah, yeah, already established or or superheroes, you know. Right, yeah. Mhm. Yeah. <clears throat> Plus we got fun shit like the uh bookworm being a pr- teacher at the school and you know uh lots of fun like Gotham in jokes in that book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's one of the books that I have uh, I've invested in hardcovers of because I look forward to one day reading them with my daughter. Nice. Hell yeah. Maybe not, actually, maybe I just bought the trades. I can't, but I, I bought them, like I had them in singles, but I bought them again in trades because I wanted to have uh, on a shelf to read the kids one day. So, um, but yeah, that does it for the show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Um, I, we're supposed to have a special guest next week. I don't want to say it and then it not happen, but we're supposed to have a special guest next week, which would be a lot of fun. Hopefully that works out for everybody. Um, but until then, we would love to hear from you. Uh, catch us all on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at BJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, yeah, we will uh, be back next week. 
I said possibly with a special guest, uh, but definitely with our uh, hot takes of the week. So until then, uh, enjoy and uh, watch out for Lex Luthor or the Suicide Squad showing up in your home. Uh, Dark Knight's Metal next week. Well, yeah. Good night.